So uh, in my growing up years, I, um, I loved music, and my parents wanted me to learn that. They saw that I both had interest and some aptitude, so, but there were stipulations. My dad was a lover of classical music and had no, no uh, value for music outside of that, so he wanted me to learn the classical guitar. That is where I began. Uh, needless to say, I totally blew that later and found out other ways uh, that are much noisier and me much more beautiful. But along the way, I found out and discovered several classical guitarists who were virtuosos. Uh, Segovia, Andre Segovia is one. Another is Christopher Parkening. And Christopher Parkening really is one of the top, has been one of the top in the area of particularly of classical guitar. Let me, I just want you to get a little picture of this. This is from some years ago, but this is just a small excerpt of Christopher Parkening playing. Uh, take a look. hope you can fully appreciate that is an amazing performance. So much beauty and uniqueness in everything that he does and played in that. Christopher Parkening would end up at the top of his craft. By the age of 30, he would actually retire initially from playing the classical guitar. But maybe not for why you think he would. He had spent hours and hours and hours working harder, more and more effort to improve his craft, more and more recordings, more and more performances till he reached that highest point. He says this about reaching that highest point in Randy Alcorn's book on happiness as he described the emptiness of it. He said this, if you arrive at a point in your life where you have everything that you've ever wanted and thought that it would make you happy and it still doesn't, then you start questioning things. It's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I had, I had that and I thought, well, what's left? It wasn't enough. It wasn't sustainable. All of his effort somehow left him empty. He retired and resigned from playing at that point. He went out and began to fly fish, which he also excelled at, apparently, and won some awards there, but that wasn't enough. He was sitting there with effort after effort after effort, just finding out it wasn't leading to what he thought it would. Crazy to think of that, isn't it? 
Along this course, as he was living with all this kind of unrest and unhappiness in his life, some friends that had been friends for a long time invited him to church. He would hear about this God, Jesus, who lived and died and rose again for him, and he would suddenly find new meaning and purpose. All of those things he'd worked so hard to say, more effort, more effort, maybe it will be enough, that never were. And he found out, oh, it's because God made me to be his and he would become a follower of Jesus. Now, it doesn't end there. In fact, what would happen is he would begin to get hunger for the scriptures because in the scriptures, he knew he would find more of Jesus. And as he began to read, one passage in particular grabbed his attention. It's Paul, one of our earliest leaders, writing to the church, and he says this, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Something shifted for Christopher at that point. And he suddenly looked, not that his vocation was unfulfilling, but that the purpose and the more effort in it was. And he began to play again, but he suddenly had purpose in playing. It changed how he lived. He discovered very simply that he was made for more. He discovered purpose. You asked us for this series. You said, we all want to discover our purpose, that Does God have something for me in my life? And we've said this, we began it last week, that you're made for more. In other words, God has uniquely designed you with purpose in mind. Every single one of you has purpose and destiny that God longs to reveal for you. He's made each one of us with this in mind. And make no mistake, we're not calling you to change what you do. We're calling and inviting you to see the greater purpose in what you do. So each week, what we want to do is help you discover this. We're beginning in this week, in the second week of our series, to look through a really simple letter that Paul, one of our earliest church leaders, writes to a church in the city of Ephesus. Now, it matters to know Paul's story just a little bit in case you don't. I know for many who've been around the church, you do, but we always want to explain who he is for those that this is new for. So Paul is this very religious man. He grows up in the Jewish culture. He makes every effort to live this Jewish life the way he should. And alongside of it, he's also born as a Roman citizen. So he understands and grows in the culture of Greek rhetoric. And in both things, he makes every effort he can to grow in it. His name is Saul at birth to the point that he's actually trying to kill Christians because they are in the way of what he wants. And Jesus meets him on a road and reveals himself. And Saul suddenly, who is renamed Paul, discovers who Jesus is and will spend his life going to cities in the area around him, helping them discover that God himself came in the flesh, lived, died, rose again, and not only gives purpose to his life, but offers it to all of us. And so the way the letter begins, and we're just going to be in chapter one today, is it begins with Paul reminding them that guess what? Every one of them is made for more. He literally, at the beginning of the chapter, and we're not going to go through it in detail today at this particular part, but you can go back and look at it. He begins talking to them about who they are as a result of who Jesus is. And he basically says this, hey, you are all followers of Jesus. He has blessed you in the heavenly realms. In other words, Jesus is pouring out blessings on your life like you could never imagine purpose and joy in it. He then says, you are all forgiven people, all that mess that every one of us deal with. We call it sin, the mess we create and the mess thrown upon us. 
You have forgiveness from that because of what Jesus has done. And not only that, he takes you where you are and he says, guess what? I'm giving you purpose now to not only receive this, but to help others discover who he is because he made all of us to know this. And suddenly, all these people, everywhere they live, have new purpose. That's what he's telling them. In Christ, you have purpose. In Christ, you have purpose. Now, he's not telling them, go change your jobs, go all quit and do this. He's saying, where you live, bring that purpose. What you do, bring that purpose. You have new meaning to everything in life. And so this series, what we want to do is help you with this. In each chapter, we want to help you make a particular shift. We think that God wants to bring us change to help live into this beauty of being made for more. And so I'm going to telegraph this at the beginning and tell you where we're going today. We want you to make a shift from more effort to more Jesus. And you'll see how Paul writes about this in just a minute. But I want to explain it before we go there, just to be clear on this. Now, I want to give us the backdrop of the, the kind of culture we live in. Because we live in a culture that we're told, and, and beautifully, that we can live out the dreams we have. Often it's even called the American dream. That very simply this, if you work hard enough, you can achieve what you want. That's what we tell each other. So guess what? If you don't achieve what you want, what aren't you doing? It, it should follow in case you don't get it. If you don't get it, you're not working hard enough. So guess what? If you don't get it, what do you need to do? More effort. More effort. More effort. And here's the crazy part. We hear it from stories like Christopher Parkening, even when you give all the effort and even uniquely those who achieve this kind of success, at the end, it's an empty promise. In other words, you and I need to understand that more effort will not give us purpose. We're made for more than that. And effort is not the pathway. I want to be clear. I mean effort that earns it. When we take effort, what we're saying is I have to do this in order to be okay, in order to make it. And what we're simply saying is there's a shift to happen to more Jesus. Now, I want to be clear on this too before we get into the passage that you and I can still think we make more of Jesus, but we don't see him the way he's intended to. I'll give you this picture. Some of us go, listen, I know that I need Jesus to help accomplish my more effort. Maybe he'll even supercharge my more effort. So we treat Jesus this way. We treat Jesus like he's a charging station and we're the phone. In other words, we plug into Jesus, he charges us up, we unplug and go do what we want to as a phone or in our lives. Jesus is a transaction to supercharge us so more effort is now more supernatural effort, is now more... Do you see what I mean? Jesus is a transaction to get where we want to go. Now, I'm saying that because that's the danger. Even when we talk about more Jesus, he is not a charging station. And what we're going to look at is what did Paul mean? Because Paul's saying this, it's not more effort, it's more Jesus. That's the way Paul lived before he was a follower. And he's going, everything I want for you is more of Jesus. It's more of Jesus. It's more of Jesus. And we're simply going to look at what does that look like and how does Paul invite us to move this direction? And what I love is what Paul pretty much does in this passage is tell you, tell us what he's praying for them. And I want you to keep this in mind, partly because it will remind you that we need to ask God for his help. We're dependent on him. Um, but I guess I want you to know this as, as one of your pastors. I take seriously these words as one who leads and cares for your souls. 
And you need to know I am committed and pray these things over you. That's my part. So what you're going to hear Paul pray, you need to know we pray this for you. But now I want you to hear what it is and what it means. So we take it up in verse 17 of this first chapter. This is Paul. I keep asking. I keep praying. I'm calling out to God regularly, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, let me be clear here. We know that we are given the spirit, so he's not saying you don't have it. He's speaking of an infilling, of an ongoing process. God, we want your Holy Spirit in us to reveal wisdom and revelation to help us understand we need you, God. We need your very presence in our lives. My job is to ask him to help you. It's yours too. Don't don't give yourself a pass. But I want you to realize this is dependence already. What's he asking for? So that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. He's not a charging station. He's someone to be known And by the way, he keeps praying it. It's not like you suddenly know Jesus and that's it. Oh, I got a download. Jesus gave me everything who he is. Do you know there's so much to know of him, you will never exhaust discovering who he is. That is amazing, isn't it? In case case you don't know, there's so much to discovering the God of the universe, you can spend all of eternity and you'll keep discovering more. In other words, it's not an obligation. It's an invitation. I want to pray that you'll know him better. Now, I want to be clear on this and even give you a picture of it before we look at even what this might mean all the way around. So last week we had Dave Gary here. Dave is a businessman from Wisconsin. He was interviewed by our regional superintendent, Chris Conrad. And we brought Dave here as we started this Made for More series because if you haven't seen it, I want you to go back. Dave understands how what he does in the marketplace is his calling, that God has made him for this, And he wants more of Jesus to accomplish everything God has for him to do in his work and all that he does. What what we didn't get to talk about, and this is where I just want to give you a picture of it. Dave told us two stories last week, one kind of from early in his life in work that was a very simple invitation from God. And you have to go back and listen, but the way he describes even how God speaks, I think it just demystifies and helps us see this is normal what God wants to do. And then about eight or nine years later, he describes a pretty significant event that God told him to do something that seemed contradictory to everything in his business acumen. And what Dave said very simply was, I knew it was God's voice. Now, what I want to stop on is, do you ever wonder why Dave knew it was God's voice? And and so I spent a bunch of time with Dave uh, in the past few years. Whenever you're with Dave, the first thing he tells you about is how in the beginning of his day, and it can be different times for different people, he sits alone with God. He's engaging in scripture to have Jesus revealed. He's sitting in the quiet and listening. He's worshiping. He is encountering God and learning to discover more of who he is and discover hearing his voice, not just to charge him up to get out, but because the more he knows of Jesus, the more he walks with Jesus and looks for Jesus in everything. Now, that's not a pastor telling you. And I'm always afraid when I tell you I do it, you're like, well, you're a pastor. It's your job. We pay you to do that. Nice job. I wish I could do that. But the reality is it's the calling of every Christian. And here's here's the part I can't do for you. I cannot convince you and I cannot pray it into you. If you don't engage in discovering who he is, you don't become truly who he's made you to be in purpose. 
It's an invitation to relationship. Paul prays that you'll, you'll want to know him better. I pray that you'll want to know him better, but you still have to pursue him. You have to make space for that. You have to learn to build in disciplines that lead to who he is, not disciplines that you check off the list and supercharge so you can go out and do what you want and you got a little extra Jesus juice to get there. You are called to discover who he is. Now, let me even give you a picture of this from Jesus' very life. So when Jesus calls his disciples, you can look at any of the accounts in any of the gospels where it speaks of this. The first thing it always says is he called them to be with him. He always called them to be with him before he called them to do something in the world. Because God has made us to be in relationship with him, to know him, to pursue him, and to have him reveal himself to us. We keep trying to do more things and think of him as another thing to be done rather than a relationship to be centered on. And I want you to make a shift from more effort to more Jesus. And you need to honestly pursue him. I'm not even saying it'll, you'll sit down and say, oh, the heavens parted and it was awesome. There are mundane practices that we do to discover just an amazing reality of who God is. But he shows up and reveals over time. And when you're having trouble, that's part of what we do together. But Paul's first thing is, I want you to know him. I'm praying the Holy Spirit would reveal himself in a unique way that you would know Jesus better. We are not made to be static with him. We're meant to be in relationship to him. And by the way, the more you know him, the more you live differently. You know, I think about this in whatever you're called to, whether you're working in middle management in some organization, whether you're working as a teacher, whether you're working in selling real estate, the more you know Jesus, the more he enters into your work. The more you begin as a real estate agent, maybe to look out and go, you know what? I could make a lot of money, but what I want to do is pray they'll find the best home God has for them and the best place God has for them and the best circumstance God has for them. I'm going to pray for that. I'm not even telling you you have to pray it and they know it. You just pray for it. Do you think God will begin to reveal who he is in that? You bet he will. Do you think you're called to more than simply selling homes and making money? You bet you are. I am willing to bet in a job like that you encounter all sorts of people in all sorts of circumstances that Jesus is saying, bring who I am to this place. And that applies in every job. It's, it's fascinating for me. You know, I certainly have things that are up front that I seek the Lord on, but I have things just like you in my day-to-day life. I mean, this, this last week, in the midst of tragedy, which happens in life around us, we had a family that had grown up here, a young man who had moved away, 24 years old, and had a seizure disorder, and he passed away very suddenly. And his family walks into my office on Thursday. Now, I don't seek God so I can have this wonderful scripture to share with them. I seek Jesus to know him, and I sit with Jesus' very presence as I walk in and go, I don't know what to say, God. Would you help me just see him like you do and hear him like you do and care for them like you do? Do you think that's any different than what you do? It's not. In my life, you know, we, we manage budgets and staff and boards and relationships and people like any other place you do. We seek God like you do. It it is the same thing walking forward and saying, Lord, how do you lead me in my work? How do you lead me when I'm with my friends at the coffee shop? How do you lead me when I'm dealing with this question of ethics? How do you lead me in both having to deal with this staff person who's difficult and also deal with their person? Can you start picturing how Jesus has made you for who you are in every situation? 
Your calling is made for more wherever he puts you. I always think about this in, the, in this day and age with so many that raise families and even some that will choose to stay home and it's treated like less of a calling and yet what they're doing is spending their lives pouring into people. You think that's a calling? You bet it's a calling. Whether we work outside the home or in the home, it's a calling. Do we see the purpose God has made for more? And do you understand what Paul is saying is, man, I want you to know him better. I want you to quit worrying about more effort and now you need more of Jesus. And he is not a charging station. He is it. He's who you enter and bring everywhere you go. Now, Paul's going to continue. This is the anchor of it. He's going to give us three kind of pictures of what this looks like and things he prays alongside of us knowing him better, kind of expansions of what this means. So he continues, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Paul always understood that darkness was kind of the way we see the world and the mess and the ugliness of it and the darkness of sin around us. Enlightened means we begin to see like Jesus does. We begin to see him in everything. We begin to see who he is. And he's saying this, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. May you see, not just see, but may you see. You understand what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? We're praying for you that you would begin to see things that are right there that we miss, that are powerful and supernatural. And Paul gives three of them very simply that all relate to more of Jesus. I want your eyes to be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. You know what you bring to whatever vocation you're in? Hope. Did you know you bring hope wherever you are? You might work in a business right now that we have no idea where it's going. You don't even know if it'll make it tomorrow. And guess what? You're not hopeless. I'm not saying that the business will or won't. I don't know. But is your hope hinged on whether your business makes it? It isn't. The hope of Jesus meets us whatever comes along. You in the midst of pain and struggle, we still have hope. Do you know what? We are hope carriers. We talk about the virus. That's the virus we should be spreading. You and me, we're meant to spread hope. When we really get this, when we know more of Jesus, we understand he gives, because of who he is, hope. And our calling are to be people of hope to a world in need. Wherever you go, that's what you bring as part of your calling. Whatever your work, whatever your vocation, you are made for more and you bring the very hope of who he is to those around you. And I don't mean it like some simple thing that you're supposed to walk around and go, Jesus is help, Jesus is help. Like, I'm not asking you to be weird and I don't mean that poorly, but it's not indiscriminate just I make this statement. It's living in a posture of hope that you bring it as God leads and you bring it in a way God calls you to from who you are and who he is. Just imagine if you and I left today with a little bit more of Jesus and we walked into our marketplace life with the hope he has and the calling we have in it. Do you think it might shift what happens in your workplace? He might use you to influence those around you. He might give you opportunities to expand the hope of his kingdom. You think the person in the cubicle next to you that's going through a really difficult circumstance at home might just be moved by the fact that you care and just sit with them in it? Not even saying you have to tell them they should be hopeful, just that they can sense that you have hope for them. Well, one of the biggest things I say to people without hope, and I, I don't even say it apologetically, is I say, especially if they have doubts about faith, I say, I'm, I'm fine that you have, don't have faith. I have enough right now for you, and I'm just going to pray for you anyway that God would speak and lead 
because that's the hope I have is to hold it for you when you can't. I have never had someone say, dude, you're really wacko. What's wrong with you? And I've prayed a lot of times and seen God move. Not right there in the moment, but he has a crazy way of virusing out his power in a cool deal. You and I were hope carriers when we know more of Jesus. Take you to the second one. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I wonder how much time we lose sleep over our fears of our 401k, of the fact that maybe we don't even have a 401 anything, of wondering if Social Security will be there, of wondering if I'll get to retire, of wondering, and I'm not telling you not to care about those things or to be responsible. I'm telling you that that's not where it lies. Do you realize when Paul tells us we have an inheritance, I want you to think of the wealthiest people on the planet. We look to and say, I can't imagine. The, the, the guy who runs Amazon, he has more money than you and I could ever even fathom. Do you know our inheritance in Christ is better than that eternally? Come on. That's amazing. Now, it's not wired the same way. Like, eternity is not wired for you to selfishly get what you want and everybody else suffers or people have less and you have more. In fact, it's one of the things I always picture with heaven is whatever God gives us, we're going to love sharing it together. Because that's the kind of people we'll be in heaven. People that love each other and are grateful for what we have. But do you think in whatever we're going through, it's important that you and I realize we have an incredible inheritance in Christ? I mean, in essence, what, what Paul's telling us is, guess what? The end of the game is really the beginning of the game. When we die, eternity lasts forever. What matters more? That's the inheritance we have. And by the way, we get deposits of that now. We get the Holy Spirit now. We get to begin to see his kingdom move. We get to be people that bring change. That's a piece of our inheritance, but it extends well beyond that. More of Jesus? I'd like to know more of this. Do you think it might change how I live? You bet it will. Don't we still have hope when that's our hope? Do you realize that whatever goes on can't shift anything of that inheritance? Nothing. You don't even need to check your phone feed for what the market's doing tomorrow. That's a market that doesn't shift. And it does go up and to the right. Come on, that's awesome. Let me take you to the final one. His incomparably great power for us who believe. And I want to be really clear here. Jesus gives a power for us and to us that is unlike the power around us. And we want to understand both that it's greater than, but it's different than what we typically seek and fear we must have. When the church grew in this first and second century, it grew all through Asia Minor in a place of Roman rule where people were living in a lot of oppression and without much. And the church grew like nothing anybody else can explain with no resource and no prestige and no power. That's the kind of power Jesus gives. Worldly power? Irrelevant, small, nothing like him. Listen to how Paul describes his power. That power is the same power as the mighty strength that exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms. And we know this, those who've been around church, the same power that conquers the grave that Jesus rose from, guess where it lives? In us. We know that. We sing it. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. It's a great song. Do you believe it? 
Do you understand more of Jesus is knowing I have more of his power living me, the same power that conquers death? What's the biggest problem we face in life? It's death, in case you don't know. It happens to all of us. Jesus beat that one, and he deposits in us the same power. That's how he's describing it here. I want you to know him and I want you to know this power. He goes on to speak more about it. It's far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in present age, but also in the age to come. Man, I wonder if you and I got this power, if we'd stop being so hung up even about all that's going on in the next month leading up to an election. Did you know the power of our government is nothing? I'm serious, it's nothing. I know we think it is. Jesus' power looks at it and goes, ha, ha, I laugh at you. He looks at that at every power in every time in history. It's a different kind of power and it's above over everything that's gone on and everything that's ever happened. And he goes on, God placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's simply this Jesus actually is everything and over everything and holding everything together. We keep trying to do more to get to the life we want and we hope Jesus will be a charging station. And what Jesus would do is blow up anything we ever try to charge because he can't be contained in what we want him to be. There's a, a theological term. It's called apophatic theology. I want you to say apophatic. Can you say that? Apophatic. Say apophatic. I like the way you say that. It's good. When you go home today, you need to say, you know, I think uh, apophatic theology applies to Jesus. And what that means very simply is once you describe who God is, you've missed it because he's better than that and he's more than that. In other words, however you describe Jesus, it will be inadequate. Do I want more effort or more Jesus? Yeah. It's a shift. We see him as a transaction, but God's made you for so much more. We want you to shift from more effort to more Jesus. We want you to know in the roles you have, in the, the calling you have, in your marketplace, workplace, home place life, that God wants to help you discover him, that Jesus wants you to know him and discovering him as a new way to live, not more effort as a new way to try to earn. It's very simply this, we want you to discover he's more than a charging station. He is everything. I am gonna keep praying this for you. It's one simple shift in the midst of knowing you're made for more. The more you see Jesus, the more you'll understand what he's called you to be in the role you play in the world around us. But we're gonna each week give you another shift, another place to continue to move, and we're gonna take our part to pray for you that God moves. Let me begin with that now. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ here, for those online here. I thank you for those that are searching for you even today. Lord, I pray your spirit of wisdom and revelation to fill them freshly, and I will keep praying for that, Lord, that they would know you better. Lord, I pray you would open the eyes of their heart. You would enlighten them, Lord. God, you would enlighten them to know beautifully 
the hope to which they're called. God, may they be hope carriers. I pray they would understand the glorious inheritance they have in you, both now as a deposit and forever as an eternal wonder. Lord, I pray they would know the power you give them that comes from you, that's over all, in all, and through all. Lord, I am asking that they would know you better and live out differently the purpose you have for them and the role you have for them, even tomorrow. God, let them hear your voice, inviting them to relate to you alone in unique ways and to walk with you in all that you have for them. I pray this in your name. Amen.